and fetch did happen that would be the happy ending of that would that would be not that not that girl world became a beautiful peaceful place but that fetch happened yes they need to make me and girls three it needs there we go Hello and welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello guys, I am Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and hello, hello, hello. Today I am with my co-host, Lindsay Williams. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. Hey, where are you at right now? Right now, time of recording, I'm in Laos, or Laos. Still trying to figure out how to uh, announce the name of the country correctly. <laughs> you know, this is going to be so it's always fun. boring when, when you come back and I'll be like, Lindsay, where are you at? I'm in Milkeens. I'm in Milkeens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we love Milkeens. Yeah, definitely. So at the time of recording as well, we're sort of working a little bit ahead. I've just come back from Bratislava. Yes. Uh, where, yeah, where I attended the Polyglot Gathering 2018. Fill me in. Tell me about it. Ooh, it was an interesting one. It was the biggest, I believe it was the biggest Polyglot event that has ever, well, taken place that we're aware of, <laughs> that, that actually has a Polyglot theme. There were 500, nearly 550 people there. Wow, that's amazing. Mm, it was a big one. And it was in the same place as last year, the... Bratislava University of Economics. It was once again super hot. And uh-huh. unfortunately, I had to miss a lot of the talks, but the, what I saw, I really enjoyed. And the variety, the diversity was bigger than ever, I would say. There were so many talks in other languages this time. Unfortunately, barely any languages that I actually understand. Wow. Yeah, but a Polish. It sounds huge. It, it was enormous. Huge. I think they had 100 speakers this time. That's just a few then. Yeah, very, yeah. I mean, when, when we think about we us organizing women in language, right, which had 20, I believe we had 27 people. Yeah. And they were very, very, very well-behaved speakers in the sense of there was, there was very little swapping and sort of, I need this for my talk, I need that for my talk. You know, it was all quite, yeah. uh, people, people were very kind to us. But to organize that, plus the rooms on four tracks, kudos to, you know, Lydia Machova, to Peter Balash and to the whole team. It was, it was a fantastic event. And if you're listening, you know, it's, it's worth attending. How did you feel not attending it this year? I mean, it was it was interesting because kind of, you know, I checked on Instagram and, and whatnot on the hashtag to try and see what's going on. It feels, yeah, it feels kind of strange to be so far away because I've been to the gathering um, when it was in Berlin and when it was in Berlin twice and then in Bratislava last year, the first time. So that's three years in a row. So, yeah, kind of a uh, bit, bit different not being there for a year. But no, it was. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conference, hopefully in October. That sounds like it's going to be really fun, the Polyglot Conference. So I guess this is worth mentioning to you guys if you're listening and you didn't get the chance to attend the Polyglot Gathering. There are a few other events coming up. So we know our friend Shannon, she's going to Langfest. Is she the Langfest rep this year? I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So Langfest is taking place on the last weekend in august i believe let me just pull it up on the internet so if you are in canada or if you're in the american continent do check out langfest it takes place in montreal we did make a podcast episode about it last year and Lindsay, you've been twice yeah i have and this is see this is going to be the first year i don't go there two years in a row so it's like this kind of big gap between go into language events for me which is really strange um but yeah I, I love it there it's a lot of fun have you found any in east asia 
Um, no, but I believe I talk host one in China. I want to say in Shanghai, I think, every year. I'm not sure when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- They did last year, I remember. Yeah, I think there's a big um, polyglot community in Indonesia, but we're not going there on this trip. So, but yeah, I haven't found a specific event quite like the, the polyglot gathering conference and Langfest. Mm. Langfest, I've just looked it up, 21st to the 26th of August. So that's your next big date in the language learning event calendar. And that takes place in Montreal, Canada, which I think we both love, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really nice. And oh, just... I don't know. It, it's a fascinating city linguistically. And there's a there's a language stories episode. So if you guys are listening, you want to get a flavor of Montreal. I think it's episode one, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it New York first? Episode, episode three. three. Episode three. Of yeah. Lin- Lindsay's yeah. podcast, Language and, Stories. And we spoke actually to um, Tetsu and to Jerry and to Marixi, the, the three of the organizers, I should say, because there's a big team. Um, of Langfest as well so you can hear their personal language stories in the episode and that is in the show notes as well and the show notes for this episode are at fluent.show slash 95 after Langfest which like I said August there is an an event in September and that is on the 23rd in Shanghai it's what Lindsay was talking about language con so I believe this is organized by italki and then there is the polyglot conference coming up next at the end of october and Lindsay's going and i'm sort of i'm probably going to be there too yeah i'm excited i love that part of the world as well it's in um slovenia slovenia this year in ljubljana <sighs> just a lovely lovely part of the world i'm really looking forward to to seeing Slovenia and yeah. just being back in Bratislava just made me remember how much I love Eastern Europe, like how, how beautiful it all is. It's just such a stunning part of the world. Oh, Central Europe, though, you've oh. got to say for Bratislava, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, it's gorgeous. So, guys, those are the next three events. And let us know if you're going to any one of those in person and as always there are local language meetups as well for example languages of london and i know that there is a group as well that organizes a language festival in peru so there's lots of stuff going and you don't necessarily have to think it's super far away from you but it's worth traveling as well having said that so lindsay williams hello in our recent episode about the top tools for spring and summer we discussed Text Inspector. We did indeed. And Text Inspector, remind us what it is. The Text Inspector. Text Inspector. You can insert your text, copy and paste, put your text in there, press the go button, and it will analyze your text for English, right? It will analyze your text and tell you your language level, your kind of lexical diversity. I can't speak very well today. Your readability of your Mm -hmm. piece. And all sorts of fancy um, lexical stuff like that that it will detect from your writing. So it gives you a good idea, you know, if you're learning English and, and to see how well you're doing, what level you are on the CEFR framework, it can help you to figure that out. And we have an interesting example today. Absolutely. Famous. Um, That's our little, little news feature. Famous English learner, <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> we we sort of I had a little poke around the text inspector wex- website and I wanted to highlight this it's so fun. They have uh, applied their tool to the tweets of the current American or US American president Donald Trump. And as we m- know as you guys might be aware, Donald Trump is quite a prolific Twitter user. Apparently, did you know this? He mm. He doesn't really use the official U.S. president account. He uses Donald Trump, like at, I think, is it at real Donald Trump or something like that? Yeah. And like there's a way of like you can tell who has sent the tweets, if it was him or an aide, if it's like come from like Android or come from iPhone, you can tell when he's written them or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a lot of language analysis into Donald Trump's tweets, I should say. I think um, The World in Words, mm -hmm. another language podcast, talks a lot about this. There's got a few episodes in their back catalogue. It's a very interesting topic. Definitely. And what I found quite interesting is, well, we have often heard, and I have definitely heard from um, sociolinguists, for example, about just, and, and um, general etiquette experts as well. It's just like the general way that Donald Trump uses language and the way that Donald Trump um, uses language to, you know, like to put himself into a position in society, etc., um, is is not considered necessarily either particularly polite or coherent. For example, when he makes a speech, and I would I would agree with that. I would say that's not Donald Trump's goal. And um, we're not political here, but you know, I don't think I don't think dividing people from each other is a good thing. When I say we're not political here, is we're, we're trying not to be. We are human beings, and we do have political opinions. <laughs> But what is interesting, I thought about the tweets in particular, is that you, well, number one, you get language from the horse's mouth, so to say, you know, you actually can can check out, okay, this is this is what Donald Trump talks about. And another thing that stood out to me is is the results, really. So maybe we should have a look at the results. So what, what Text Inspector did, essentially, is take... And I believe it's not that many tweets that he made. One of them, for example, was, I win an election easily. A great movement is verified. And crooked opponents try to belittle our victory with fake news. A, story, a sorry state? Or another one, just to give you guys a flavor of these. Intelligence agencies should never have allowed this fake news to leak into the public. One last shot at me. Are we living in Nazi Germany? It's very provocative, isn't it? It's kind of provocative and it, it it has a lot of emotional in it, I would say. Yeah. You know, like saying a, a shot at me evoking Nazi Germany is always an emotional move. Oh, I, I love it when he ends with like sad, just like those one word and then an exclamation point. I love that. Like it's very, it's a very fascinating use of the language. And, and what I found most interesting about this is, It feels like really easy to mock. Donald Trump would say, oh, he's stupid, he's dumb, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, his language is so basic and blah, blah, blah. But actually, what the text inspector analysis found is that his vocabulary is a C1 level based on these tweets. And not just that, it's, uh, he's getting something very right, isn't he? Mm. The, the readability scores are high. Mm. and Politicians are often criticized for communicating as though they don't understand and have, don't have a real connection to the people that they are representing. Yeah. Whereas Donald Trump cuts straight through to use language that is easy to comprehend. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it says here, you know, scoring high on readability because on Twitter, people tend to use short sentences. So that makes it easy to read. They're short, snappy examples of, of language and thought. But then in comparison, it says he scores very low on proportional density in terms of verbs, because in Twitter, it's common to pack a tweet with nouns and have fewer mm -hmm. verbs. So actually that comes out as an A1 because there's less verbs in what he's saying. Because again, because of the nature of Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how this would compare if you compare other people's tweets, other political leaders' tweets, yes. should we say, as a, you know, as a comparison to see how, you know, is it actually because of the nature of Twitter that everyone is quite high on readability and quite low on proportional density? Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the, I think the difference is that could well be the case. The difference might be in this lexical diversity because that really stands out, right? It says he scores low on lexical diversity, which means he uses the same words lots and lots and lots of times. So he keeps tweeting fake news. He keeps tweeting sad. He keeps tweeting great. He keeps and and that again for a political. I don't. I, I don't want to say leader. Because I don't think it necessarily is is leadership, but it's like for a political 
messenger, a message carrier, you know, like somebody who really wants their message to sink in, that is a very smart move. You just say the same thing again yeah. and again. And, and obviously, like, when you look at that, you might think Donald Trump is dumb <laughs> because he says the same words again and again. But those words, do they become more powerful? Like, they become more powerful as a result, perhaps. they be Like, fake news wouldn't be as major a term. And it was word of the year somewhere. Or was it in Germany? Word of the year last year. Is fake news not a powerful term? Entirely because this White House keeps using it. It's interesting because, on the other hand, I think you could say that when you repeat something like that over and over again, it loses its power almost. Like, I love you, for example. If you say I love you once a day, twice a day to your husband, to your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children, whatever, then that's probably, you know, a reasonable amount. But if you say it like, you know, first flush, honeymoon phase of a relationship and you're like, I love you. Five minutes later, another text. I love you too. I, I really do love you. Did you know? I love you. Then it kind of loses its effectiveness. And I wonder... Does the same thing. Like, have we got bored now? Like, oh, fake news. It means nothing. When people say fake news, it just means an opinion that they disagree with reported in the media. Like, we've kind of, have we become blasé to that because it's repeated so much? I wonder. I wonder about that because I think, again, we, I, I believe we are not the target audience of Donald Trump's tweets. Donald Trump wants to talk to the people who voted for Donald Trump, and that wouldn't have been me. Mm. Um, so I think I think that's who he's talking to, and for for that target group, maybe um, low what they call here lexical diversity. So using a lot of the, the using the, the terms that are meaningful to those people again and again and again, and then. Home the point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is almost a bit like, like, um, you know, it's like it's like if you, um, if you if you for example care really care about transgender issues and transgender visibility, you will be so much more sensitive to every time somebody says woman and man or female and male, yeah. and you just you know like so you're looking out for that person saying non-binary. And equally, if you are messaging to somebody who's looking out for that, you using the term non-binary will signal, I'm on your side, I care about what you think about. So similarly, using biased, or what, what are, um, it says like words that he uses an awful lot, uh, unwatchable, um, you know, like, and which, which goes with Donald Trump's con consistent message that like the mainstream media is... I, I don't like it. It also means, you know, it's also a reminder that he watches an awful lot of television, I guess. Uh, this, But, you know, again, I saw this on the television is a message that perhaps will go, will really work for the people that Donald Trump is speaking to because it reflects the world. So, yeah. I, I, There's a connection. Yeah, and then I the like, readability. Well, I saw this on the television too. Yeah, yeah. So, I just... I find this so, I've, it, I read this and I was like, all right, tell me how dumb Donald Trump is. Yeah. Um, but I found it quite um, unsettling in a way because mm. to me it read as like, this is really smart. Oh, interesting. Mm, mm. Maybe I'm reading too much into it and I'm being a bit of a conspiracy tinfoil person. <laughs> Damn you, text inspector. <laughs> you just reminded me as well of um, Mean Girls, the film Mean Girls. Because... Okay, quote me, because I, I, <laughs> that's one of my favourite films of all time. Okay, Regina George, love you. Yes. Yeah. Says says that an awful lot. Doesn't love anybody that she's speaking to, right? Yeah. But it's almost like right. love you means in Regina George terms. What does it mean? 
you will do this for me so that we can keep the peace. Yeah. It means I hold the power over you. Mm. You're going to do this thing. I love you. Therefore, do the thing I'm asking you to do. Mm -hmm. AKA, stop trying to make fetch happen. Because <laughs> if fetch happens... I've lost, I've lost control. Lose all significance. Yeah. It's a kind of a shame that fetch never happened at the point in the film where Regina George wasn't in charge. You know what would have been beautiful is at the end of the film if when uh, like when Regina George is like braiding the hair of some girl, you know the bit I mean at the end, and there's those three girls that come out. If like one of those girls had a t-shirt on that said fetch <laughs> or so fetch just before they get hit, hit or not hit by the bus, <laughs> I should say. Yes. Yeah. And fetch did happen. That would be the happy ending of that would Earth. that would be not that not that girl world became a beautiful, peaceful place, but that fetch happened. Yes, they need to make Mean Girls three. It needs. Oh wow, go. is Mean Girls two any good? I've not seen it's on it. Netflix. I I've not heard good things, but I've mm. not seen it, so I can't possibly comment. I didn't have high expectations because the sequel, you know, the sequel prejudice. Yeah. Anyway, but interest. So the the love you of Regina George, and the fake news or sad of Donald Trump in both times, in a way, is a you know like when you're thinking pragmatics, it's almost a speech act in the sense of mm. I'm saying something way more than what I'm actually saying. Yes. What is the meaning underneath those words? What's the real true mm -hmm. meaning? Mean Girls and Donald Trump brought to you by the Fluent Show. <laughs> Connections to Connections everything. to everything. And um, next in the podcast, I have something rather fetch for you. <laughs> yes, let's make it happen. It's like British slang, you know. And the very fetch app that is sponsoring our podcast this episode is they are back. Or well, I'm the. The person I'm always in touch with from Clothesmaster is Mike, so I wanted to say, he is back. Mike is back. Uh, today's episode is brought to you with support from Clothesmaster. And we are Clothesmaster fans. You as well, aren't you, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, it's so fetch. <laughs> See, casually slip it in and eventually it will happen. Stop trying to make Fletch happen. Stop trying to make Fletch happen. Fletch. Fletch? We, we can make Fletch happen as well. I, I don't mind. I will. <laughs> That's actually a Mosel Franconian word, you know. Oh. Like, if you really want somebody to shut up, you can say, Heidi Fletch. Uh. And it means shut up. So it's like used for mouth. Anyway, we are making Fetch happen, or Clothesmaster is making Fetch happen. Learning with Clothesmaster is designed like this. It's a game. It's a gamified app, but also kind of retro so it looks a bit like an arcade game i, I like that aspect of it because i'm old and clothesmaster is available in over 50 languages lots of language pairs as well so you can study chinese from german for example you could study spanish from french you just kind of wing those together and what you get is real natural content so you get sentences from the real life out there outside of our windows or wherever people type it's all designed so that you get a sentence in your target language with something missing and it's your challenge to fill in the blanks. Clothesmaster also uses high-frequency word lists built into those sentences. So everything that you learn is always going to be words that you are actually going to need. And they are always working on adding new things, exciting new things. I've been using Clothesmaster for quite a while for my Welsh and it, it just helps me keep in touch and it I find it makes me think quite creatively and sort of really teaches grammar without teaching grammar because you've got to know what the thing go that goes into the sentence looks like so I really love using this app and I've been using it for about a year and Lindsay I know that you love the language range that they have and you're a bit of a dabbler so have you added anything new recently mm. well at the minute I'm dabbling with Lao I bought a little book, but they don't have Lao on Clothesmaster. So I'm not using it right now. But I, I have on there like a gajillion. That is the actual number. Um, a gajillion 
combination, Jillian, number of <laughs> languages on there. It's getting late here in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> An actual gajillion. What's the most recent yeah. one that you used? Most recent one? Well, I used to do them. I did them, I would say, a few months ago now. I was doing them like a little bit every day, all of them. Oh, my God. And they're like Afrikaans, Indonesian, like Breton. No, Breton? No, not Breton. Occitan. Um, Galician, uh, lots of like romance languages that I'd never studied, but I was doing really well in like getting them right because of knowledge of other languages. And I feel like that's really quite fun. Mm. And are you using it on iPad, iPhone, Android, because it's available on all of those or on the web? Yeah, I use it on my phone and then I have used it on the web before as well, but my phone is, tends to be the most convenient mm. for me. I've used it, I use it on the iPad app. And we can confirm that it works on all of those. And guys, it's free. There are over 190, 190 possible language combinations. So there's lots to play with. You can go with Lindsay's, I'm going to do a bit of Afrikaans and then a bit of Indonesian and then a bit of 50 other languages in one day approach. Or I guess you could do what I do and be boring and just do your two languages it is pretty amazing Not check it out to support the fluent show go to www.closemaster that's closemaster with a z dot com slash fluent show where you will find a little bonus video with some tips from me and a little tour around the interface and a special voucher if you ever want to try out closemasters pro membership so thank you so much to mike and closemaster team for sponsoring the Fluent Show once again. So, Lindsay. Hello. You posed a question for this week's show that is, does culture or perception stop us from learning a language? So, would you like to take us into this week's topic? What what made you think about that? I mean, I, I think it's something I guess I've thought, for, thought about for a while. So do you remember a couple of years ago, there was this story going around about someone who was, in fact, when I tried to find it, I found a different story, which is interesting. I thought the story was someone who had an Arabic dictionary, was getting on a plane and then was kicked off the plane. And when I tried to find it, the story I found was about a guy who was speaking Arabic on the phone just before mm -hmm. um, the plane took off. and then. The woman in front of him was turning around like, oh, oh, what's going on? Getting a bit tetchy. Told the flight attendant and then the flight attendant spoke to the guy and he got kicked off the plane. For speaking? Because he was speak for speaking Arabic. Because she thought, oh, he's speaking Arabic on a plane. He must be about to bomb the thing, right? <gasps> and I remember thinking, oh, okay. Well, that's a thing that's mm -hmm. happened. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Well, not fair enough, but you know what I mean? That's happened, mm -hmm. right? And then it kind of got me thinking a lot about how our cultural perceptions affect our language learning choices. So, for example, now, right, think about what's going on now in the news with um, Russia and all these accusations of like Russia hacking the elections and Facebook ads and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. Would that make you think twice about learning Russian? Would that story about the guy getting kicked off the plank, sort of um, Islamist extremists make you think twice about learning Arabic, for example. And you brought in the example of, of um, German mm -hmm. and how you kind of get this sort of presented to you in a slightly different way as mm -hmm, well. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, oh, that's really interesting. When I was thinking about this, I, I sort of, it sort of split into two aspects for me. One is the, an attitude to language learning in general. You know, is this pointless? Should we learn English? Or, uh, sh uh, you know, everybody speaks English, blah, blah. And that's, that's kind of accepted, mm. you know. But, and this is interesting recently as well. We, we were looking at, um, you know, like getting to know the people who are going to be taking German Uncovered. And obviously the people who are coming to the German retreat with me and, and you know, all these things that I do as a German teacher as a German teacher, I've got to promote the German language too. And I was speaking to Ollie, who I'm making the German course with, who is a Spanish, 
you know, who, who, who has previously made a Spanish course. And he said, oh, people really want, you know, people want to travel, etc. So we surveyed people and we said, you know, what motivates you? And travel is actually quite low down for German. And work, for example, is, is a lot higher up. And then also, I've, I've come across the attitudes to, to Germany on a regular basis. And this recently made me, made me think, um, because it doesn't just motivate people's um, attitudes to whether they want to pick up the language, which is about almost, again, identity, right? It's about, do I want to be seen a certain way? Ooh. You know, do I want to be... I don't know. I don't know what you know. Like the every yeah. What's that perception? Mm-hmm. If you say to someone, oh, "I'm learning German" or "I'm learning mm-hmm. Russian," are they going to instantly think like, "Oh, well, that means this about you"? You must love Putin or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then, um, as a as a German in the um, in the UK, you you do come into touch. You you do get you do um, experience sometimes. The, the darker side of people's attitudes to Germany and how much reputation we still have for the Second World War. And I just in Bratislava now, I had a conversation with somebody who said, a German person, and she said, I went to New Zealand on a school exchange year and the kids there, all they could say was like, schnell, schnell, Achtung, um, and other war film language. And then in Britain, there's recently been a, there was a tweet from, I think her name is Tanya Bultman, uh, who is a, um, a campaigner, um, you know, like a European in the UK and, and on that basis, a we think Brexit is a bad idea campaigner. And she sh- shared something from her timeline that really touched me, which was uh, a vote leave poster. So vote leave if you're not... Um, Au courant with Brexit, <laughs> Vote Leave was the site that wanted Britain to leave the EU before the referendum. And it was sort of like a campaign group. And they did all these posters, like, blah, blah, you know, this is why we want to leave the EU. And the apparently not an official one. So somebody made a fake Vote Leave poster. It says on it, Halt Z, with a Z, German advance. Oh. In 2016. And wow. that made me think, so many people tell me German sounds aggressive, German sounds harsh, German sounds X, Y, Z. Whereas a lot of people say, oh, Italian sounds beautiful, Italian sounds, you know, dreamy, Spanish sounds sexy, etc. And it made me think about this idea of language attitudes, which is actually a thing that people study and I, you know, I, I've only just become aware of it. So I really want to like dive in and read some of the research on it. But this idea that what we hear in a language is not actually an aspect of the language necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or like, a, you know, only the characteristic, but we tie it to the attitude that we already have somewhere inside of us about that particular place, which I think makes sense. Right even when we then think about that language uh, difficult or easy? Our expectations we already have prior to studying or knowing anything really about the language. It's interesting that you bring up like, oh, Italian sounds beautiful and Spanish sounds sexy because I feel like it's interesting that it can also work in, in the reverse. Mm-hmm. Like we've mentioned, you know, negative examples like, oh, well, Russia is bad. So ooh, Russian always oh, a bad language. And then oh, like ISIS, oh, Arabic is a bad language. And like, oh, Second World War, German is a bad language. But the idea that, oh, wow, yeah, Spanish is sexy. And so that could make you want to learn almost for this opposite reason that's equally as founded on sort of very shaky ground almost. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very curious. It reminds me of, of you talking about what what motivated you to learn Spanish, which is to essentially see this very powerful um you know like creative pop star Shakira uh. who i think when she came in i remember when 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 uh when whenever wherever i'll say that five times fast when whenever wherever came in and wherever aka swerte yeah 
<laughs> when that song was in the charts, there was something, you know, like there was, it, she, she basically is belly dancing in the video and, and, you know, dancing in an entirely different way. And she stood out as a pop star at the time. So to look to that and kind of go like, oh, that's awesome. That is a woman I like, I want to identify with. And I want to embody those characteristics. Do you think that, do you like, might that have played a part? You know, what's interesting. I, I remember the very first time when I saw that music video and so, so my mum and dad used to work at the, um, at the gym in the town where I lived on weekends. There was like a kid session that they, they used to like mm-hmm. run that. And so I would go along and uh, I remember seeing this video, this music video, and I'd be like on the row or whatever. And I thought, oh, Britney Spears has a new song out. And then when I looked close, I was like, wait a minute, that's not Britney Spears. Oh, it's a different person. And then it came up at the end, like Shakira. I was like, oh, this person is called Shakira. Okay, that's cool. You know, so I didn't really recognize at first that this was someone different, I guess. But then I think what I think is fascinating about Shakira is how a lot of people, a lot of sort of famous people now, maybe this is going off on a tangent slightly. um, It's very easy to get accused of, rightly or wrongly, to get accused of cultural appropriation. Shakira, somehow, I don't know what it is that's different about Shakira, but despite dancing in a sort of Middle Eastern way, despite doing Waka Waka, the song for the African World Cup, you know, all of these things where she can get involved with these different cultures that aren't necessarily Colombian. I mean, I know that she has, I think, Lebanese heritage, that's where the Middle Eastern fits in, but Shakira seems to fit into that very seamlessly which I find very interesting. Maybe it is relevant to this conversation. I don't know. I mean, maybe subconsciously I kind of identified with that as like, oh, this person is from a different place to me and... Like transcends. Embraces all of these different cultures. Yeah, transcends is a good word for it, right? Uh Uh-huh. Maybe I identify with that on some level. But then what would happen, you know, like if... Someone, I don't know. You know what's really interesting is I was surprised Uh hearing that Shakira is Colombian. That's where she's from, right? Right. Where did you think I don't know, but she's blonde. I thought she was American. I thought she was like an American pop star because when she went into the American market, she she read American pop star to me. It's like you say, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. But then you look again and you sort of go, oh, no, this is a like... There's something different there, which Google Shakira nineties, um, like nineties or, or what you yeah, like black hair, almost dreadlocked for a very wow. long time. Wow, mm, that's oh. <laughs> so. So I wonder if you're right that there is something there because if then I'm thinking back to the guy who gets thrown off the plane for speaking Arabic. And the stereotypes that we attach to different language communities and the way, well, I mean, Spanish is, is perhaps a, a slightly odd one, right? We can, we can talk about like how, how Spanish is almost yeah. image free because it is so everywhere, I guess. But then, hmm, or maybe debate that. But definitely Arabic. And then perhaps the lady on the, who, who complained about the guy saying, oh, he's, he's clearly discussing, I don't know, planting bombs. Maybe she knows just yeah. enough Arabic to be dangerous. You know, maybe he, he was, yeah. um, as far as I understand, he may have actually said, like, maybe he might, he might have said Daesh or something. Because, but it's not illegal. I think, yeah, and I think he ended, he ended the phone call, I think, with Inshallah. Mm, which is totally and fine. And said, like, goodbye. Which means like God willing, but she thought oh, I've heard that word on the news. Presumably, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. He said Allah. He must be a yeah. religious crazy. Oh, Ooh. yeah, yeah. In yeah, yeah. So there's something there about like what what we what do we want to attach ourselves to? So again, like that's th- this is really fascinating mm. because this keeps making me think about 
how you know like the whole idea of a language attitude is is not so much about the language it's kind of about us and what we see yeah. there and then in the first place before we even know the word for hello mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have these these preconceived ideas naturally you know we 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 judge i think it's very natural i think people say oh, i don't judge i don't judge anyone before you know i mean we do because we have to as an instinct to it's like a survival thing right mm-hmm. so we do i've had a job interview where somebody told me when i heard you were german i i knew you'd be good at this because it was an admin job and german germans are considered efficient and punctual and all that stuff right so there's an example again of so that's an example again of how it's perceived as positive but actually could easily be taken with offense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and can we go back to talk about spanish a little bit that's interesting yeah because because i think you say um how spanish you know it's spoken in so many countries so widely spoken it belongs i guess you could say to so many diverse people that actually when you know, when people think of um, Cuba, which perhaps in some ways, in some places, gets equally as bad press as somewhere like Russia, let's say, then you don't think, oh, yeah, Spanish, oh, because Spanish is spoken wider, right? The name of the country is not naturally connected to the name of the language. Cuba, oh, they speak Cuban. No, they don't, they speak Spanish. Like Venezuela, everything that's going on there right now, you don't think, Oh yeah, I don't want to learn Spanish because it's not there's there's almost a disconnect with the name of the country and the name of the language perhaps. And then Korean, I think, is an interesting example of like there's North Korea and there's South Korea. When we say Korean, we think of the happy, jolly, shiny pop culture of South Korea. We almost ignore you know the fact that perhaps it's spoken in in North Korea and you know, it, it doesn't seem to be as criticized because there's this happy, shiny, lovely place that speaks it as well. So that kind of trumps that idea of like, oh, well, you know, it's, 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 it's an okay language to learn because there's good people that speak it. Mm, that's interesting. So I'm reminded of being a kid in Germany in the 80s and 90s uh-huh. where English, and even now, it, like English is considered very cool. And certainly in the 80s, the, a lot of it was about, a lot of it was American. Like, like with English, very few people, I would say, want to learn English in order to like because they are inspired and motivated by the English of very legitimately English speaking regions, perhaps in Africa or in um India. But yeah. what what we what we align with is cultural influence. Yeah. Is is the currency that America just by the nature of being America has in the world. And the UK to uh, I would say a lesser extent has just by being the UK and then and and even this goes to the point of overshadowing very very legitimately francophone areas like the when we learn french we don't really think about french canada for example and when you learn german mm. it's very rare that somebody would learn german because they love mm-hmm. austria like so people do people do most certainly yeah yeah uh, of course it's a valid reason too, oh yeah course. yeah and and austria is known for its skiing. So every now and then I will have, I have have taught a German student who wanted to learn German be, because because of Austria. You know, but mm. this whole thing about just like you said earlier before somebody even says hello with German I often feel before somebody even knows hello they already know the word for machine gun. That's how I feel. Interesting. If it makes you feel any better, I actually don't know the German word for machine gun. <laughs> but I can say, <laughs> <laughs> good <time. laughs> 
Mein Name ist Lindsay. Ich bin Englisch. Hallo Lindsay. <lacht> it's, it's bizarre. And I have started German lessons, like German courses, by reading a poem in German. In my most, in, in the most uh, beautiful way that I can possibly do it. Because I feel like I actively want to work on bring, bringing down that perception. And I'm very aware of it, you know, because it's my native language. Mm. But mm. I wonder if, you know, like, can this... Has, okay, has the perception of a country consciously ever put you off learning a specific language or a cultural perception? Do you think, personally, your language choices are influenced by anything either... Okay, let's first start anything negative, anything you've ever wanted to, like, avoid. Have I ever wanted to avoid learning a language, you mean, because of something negative? Like a negative perception? Yeah, or, you know, like, you know, we, we know that realistically in our lives we choose languages over each other all the time because we kind of love yeah. them all. I think, I mean, I don't think so. Do you think you've chosen one over the other? I feel like it's happened quite naturally, quite a sort of natural progression of, like, mm -hmm. French and then Spanish and then... I picked, I tell you what, I did pick one over another. I picked Chinese over German. Ich bin sorry. <laughs> um, because the only reason was I never really felt a connection with German before I learned it. Um, Italian, I thought, well, that's going to be easier than German for me. And Chinese was a new course at the mm -hmm. time. And I thought, well, that's exciting. It's not from Europe. It's from far away. And so I picked Chinese over German. I then picked up German later on. So it wasn't like I completely abandoned it, thinking anything negative of like German is associated with war or mm -hmm. anything like that, right? I don't think there's been an occasion where I've thought, shall I learn, you know, what language should I learn next? That's uh, another thing, the, the perception of German grammar as this almost um, impenetrable thing. When, when actually yeah, it's, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much the same as French right. grammar. It doesn't actually do that much more. Right. We've talked a lot about the sort of negative cultural perceptions based on news and media and big sort of social things like this. But also linguistically, there are perceptions like the idea of thinking, well, Japanese looks completely different written down to what I'm used to. That's going to be really hard. Or, you know, German grammar is going to be impossible. Whoa, a Slavic language, I could never manage the cases. So we have these, you know, impressions of, oh, it's language in the world. Oof, don't want to go near it with a barge pole. Yeah. You know? So maybe as well as the cultural um, sort of negative perceptions that perhaps we have that could stop us, maybe there's linguistic barriers as well that we hold up unnecessarily i think absolutely and i think it, a lot of that you know being a german again being very much a passionate uh, german advocate because i think it's i think it's not that hard um but i spend a lot of my time telling people it's not that hard um and i feel that there's a real you know there's a real self-fulfilling prophecy there because we for some reason The story is, this language is hard. The story, like, the story, for, for me, it's, I, I do it too. Like, I have really stayed away from Arabic. Right. Because cause I can't, I look at the script and it kind of scares me. And I've never really engaged with Chinese until sort of three weeks ago. And I think that there's also something about, well, I don't know, like, I always feel like I'm a European. I want to know more about Europe. I, I feel like I don't even live in Europe properly yet. And then that makes sense as well. Like, I'm, re I'm learning Welsh. And, and Brexit has made me more passionate about learning Welsh and has made me motivated to learn Welsh because I've, it makes me feel more like I belong here. Wow. Really? I didn't realize that. Well, I didn't realize until about, like, 
<laughs> you made it <laughs> <laughs> yeah like very recently though uh, yeah. but there is something there about like look i you know like i'm really know about the uk i'm really entangled with the uk i've always felt very strongly about that that i love britain or like i love you know like england and i had these like calendars of longing with like lots of postcards and stuff of you know british classic scenes and you know nature and stuff like that so so to me it's it's in a way it it feels like like in a in a in a climate where i perceive more rejection than before i want to have a stronger argument for why i'm here does that make any sense it does it does but that's very sub yeah. that's very subconscious like i didn't actively go like they can't throw me out of england if i know welsh right because this is it and like when you asked about shakira i didn't i didn't think about it. i didn't think oh well she's doing belly dancing from that place but she's from this place and that's really mm -hmm. interesting and i want you know i didn't think about any of that i just thought oh, i like that song oh there's some songs in spanish on there oh that's cool well spanish is a bit similar to french i guess i could learn that if i could learn french mm -hmm. already you know it kind of just happened and rolled on and i think it's always been like that i don't i feel like i feel like on the one hand sort of a i could learn any language invincibility almost of like yeah i could i could do that i could learn any language if i really wanted to if i had the motivation if i had the reason to if i had the resources and i had the yeah, people or whatever me too right? i think that's a polyglot kind of mindset oh god the polyglot mindset there you go but it is right like it's <laughs> there's a real of course i could there's no there's no question but on the other hand i think i also feel this sense of oh but if i like you mentioned arabic if i oh yeah if i were to learn arabic i would really need to sit down and do it properly there are some languages i feel like i could sort of dabble with a lot mm. easier and kind of get by and there are others that i feel like almost deserve a real proper sit down like a few months of solid study you know what i mean do you feel that as well it reminds me of your you've got a fearlessness around asian languages that i don't have and shannon too oh. and that makes me think and it's you've always i think like you recently traveled there and stuff so you you know, like you, you had been to those areas i think more or in a different way a more engaging way you've got a fearlessness around those countries too and the oh. generally the arabic world not that i'm scared not that you're scared as such but travel wise and and um maybe you know like i i want to say reputation wise not because it i think we okay right i don't need to justify if we're tolerant people or not but ref, reputation wise from what you hear about it and from what is easily accessible information it can feel like a more closed off world to us mm. you know so maybe the languages start to feel more inaccessible because we perceive those places as more inaccessible so france italy spain being very popular tourist destination 30 pound easy jet flight away you know like so then it's about it's about what we what we see ourselves doing right and where we see ourselves and that's interesting then it keeps bringing me back to germany my apologies because germany is just not that popular travel destination and having been a german in the uk for this long you know there was a there was an uptake that i noticed around the reputation of germany and people being interested in german sort of in the late noughties <laughs> which is maybe about two years like a year or two years after the world cup that germany hosted and many many people told me at the time that was the first time i'd been to germany i thought it would be rubbish i was surprised it's so beautiful um you know like my friend from london came to our beautiful valley that is green and lined with vineyards everywhere and she went i thought germany was really industrial so again it feels you know and germany having been this divided country part of it was genuinely closed off for decades and russia was closed off in a way for for decades yeah so 
I wonder if we have something in our minds where we associate the ease of learning a specific language with how easily we can get to that place, which doesn't actually make sense, but it's a, I can see how the brain would have that shortcut. You know, I can see how, what is it called? Heuristics. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Yeah. It feels closer. Mm -hmm. Geographically, it feels more possible to go to a place then it feel then it becomes easier to connect and to actually learn a language to some level of proficiency because you can go there there's a channel interesting question i don't mean sorry i don't mean the channel like the channel, channel, channel. <laughs> i just mean i just mean there's a channel to that place right what about ash do you think being in spanish-speaking places and and experiencing so much of it has made him realize that spanish is a thing that he can do i think so and i think i think and i don't think he'd mind me saying this i don't think he necessarily realized it at the time like i think that when we were there was you know although he was he was sort of studying bits here and there and and going out and able to get by and order a coffee and ask how much stuff was and all of that it was very easy to rely on me but now we've actually come away and he's and you know, had a few weeks a month or so kind of away from it and then and then decided oh, i'm gonna pick up again i miss this i miss spanish i don't want to lose where i was and what i had and i think then because you have a connection so now he can associate you know he'd never been well still hasn't been mm -hmm. to spain you know, despite how close it was. So, but now he has a connection, like this tragic um, volcano that's exploded in, in Guatemala. He actually did a run up a volcano very close to that. And at the same event, there was one run that went across three volcanoes, including Fuego, the one that exploded mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just a few days before recording this. And so he, feels i think perhaps more so than i do because i didn't run at this thing i was just there he feels very connected to that and i think things like that it's an example of how going to a place being to a place can connect you then to an event that happens in that place it can work in the same way for language i think you then have a connection to draw mm -hmm. from and yeah, and it, it makes me think how Spain, even though it's a very, very popular tourist destination in the UK, it also has that reputation of, you know, being a place where people go to get drunk and all that kind of stuff, or even this sort of old people retire there. You know, sort of, uh, again, like, this yeah. is not relevant to my own personal culture. Yeah, I find it interesting because with, with, with Spanish, the reasons, I think, um, and the definitely, I would perhaps the quantity even of people that learn Spanish in the US and in the UK, I feel like there's a real difference there because for Americans, there are more Spanish speakers in some parts of America um, than you know than there are in the UK, and so there's a reason much closer to home to learn the language. You then go to Mexico on holiday it's it's really close but for us like going to Spain it feels almost I don't know like <laughs> it feels like an extension different? of of Britain I guess yeah to some in some parts some parts it's very easy it would be very easy to go to Spain and not speak or really encounter Spanish yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe in Mexico, equally, there are similar places, you know, like Cancun, for example, maybe you could compare to somewhere like uh, Costa del, what's it face? I don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Costa del Beer. Yeah, yeah, right? So, uh, so I don't know, but I feel like the 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 reasons for learning Spanish are often quite different for UK, mm -hmm. for, for Brits and for mm -hmm. Americans. It's very interesting. It is. And, but you know how Brits often report um, 
Brits often report that they want to learn a language because they travel there and they want to avoid embarrassment. Mm. You know, they say, oh, I want to be able to say this because otherwise I'll look, I'll, I'll look this certain way, which is not the same as saying like, oh, this language fascinates me or something like that. But that it comes to, to me, yeah. there's really, I guess, tr trying to um, draw, draw it in together, there's this thing about, like, like I said, linguistic attitude or language attitude, um, really, and I hadn't thought about this so much before, this how much we want to associate ourselves with a certain way of thinking. And in a way, this, this reminds me of what, what you mentioned before. You can go a bit too far with that, with exoticizing things and with the stereotypes and what you want to think about other people. And that sort of is this, you know, linguistics, um, linguistics oldest uh, story with a beard. Uh, does language affect the way we think? And uh, you brought up Wharf, right? That the, the famous Wharf study. So if it, listeners, in case, you, in case you hadn't come across this, Lindsay, can you sum up? what that study was about. I can try. Um, I've got keywords in my head. I'm nah. not an expert, but I think through Wharf, Sapir and Wharf hypothesis, it's mm -hmm. called, isn't it? It's, um, they did some research involving the Hopi tribe or a Hopi mm -hmm. tribe in, I think, North America. Um, and they decided that because of, was, was it word? They didn't have words for past and, Future, that's, that right? that's what this book is quoting. So I imagine it, it would have originated right. somewhere. From there. And so the, the, the bottom line was they decided language affects the way we think. Yes. And, and so the language we speak affects And the way, the way around, literally, like going to the extent of there are concepts that certain people um, can or cannot comprehend because of the way mm. their language is. There's a really interesting book called Through the Language Glass. Which which touches on or not touches on this, but really really looks at this, and I've put it in the show notes. So if you're interested in going deeper in that, check that out. But I'm going to read you this because I think it's a. I just thought it was remarkable, re remarkable in a bad way. So the book I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you what the book is. I guess um, it's a self help book type thing, and it's trying to encourage me to. Be aware of how the words I think and use and how I talk to myself can make me achieve less, etc. So let's, let's start with the Einstein. So <laughs> meanwhile, so this is a uh, general, let's, let's, it's, it's a classic, like let's abuse some science for the sake of self-help. So meanwhile, according to Einstein, time is an illusion. It's flexible, nonlinear, and the whole 24 hours in a day thing is a giant hoax. So far, so good. We've all heard this before. Yet we are a staunch seven days in a week, 52 weeks a year kind of culture. And this, this is made real by our language. So there already is like the fact that, well, I don't know what, what she's implying here, but it's sort of like, because we use the word week, we, we limit ourselves to seven, I don't know. So continue. The Hoppy people who perceive the world more in tune with Einstein's findings have no words in their language to express the past or future because they basically exist in the now. In fact, they don't even have a word for now because to step back and call it something would take them out of the moment. Hashtag YOLO. That's right. So they, the, the argument is here that the Hopi people, and I think this is a, I mean, just think of that. Uh, the hobby people are so in the moment, they so live in the now, they are so mindful of the now that their language doesn't have a word for past or present. Or in the reverse, and this is very dangerous, to say these people don't even know the concept of, of, of the future. Their, their perception is limited to what they have right now because we can tell because their language doesn't have a word for before or yesterday or, or or tomorrow which is insane and kind of perhaps sometimes we do this though with languages in a much 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 smaller way when like you say 
I don't know. And I do this, to be honest, too. I do this a lot. I play with German stereotypes when I'm teaching German. And I'll say something like, you know, we've got, yes, the case system is, you know, like has has this X amount of different ways of expressing it, but it's very efficient. <laughs> and I will consciously, like, I will choose to say the word efficient because that's what people think about Germany. Right. So I'm reaching for a positive stereotype to make people feel encouraged that, you know, to reinforce you're doing something positive by learning German. Hmm. I think that's good. You will become more efficient if you learn German. That's maybe what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's a really dumb thing to say. I need to watch out for that. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if we've found an answer today. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, if know if there was solved anything. It, it's just a conversation I wanted to have, really. Definitely. I just had this question and I just wanted to talk with you about it. I think there isn't really an I think the answer, yes. So coming back to the question, does, would culture or perception stop us from learning language? Maybe a little bit it does. I think it does. Mm -hmm. Even if we don't want to admit it or we don't realize mm -hmm. it, I think it probably does. I agree. And I, I think we're like, we both have, have, I think, admitted in a way that we're not immune to that. Mm, no way. That's deep, all. man. I mean, not at all immune. <laughs> not at all like no way did I admit that I mean not at all I mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bro <laughs> yeah so I guess we've reached the end of our episode and I hope even I hope you weren't expecting a huge answer to the question seeing as we weren't able to you know put our finger on one but I hope that this also made you think about your own language choices from a different angle because we do often think about you know should i learn this language should i learn that language and maybe this is a really interesting interesting uh, call to action to flip what you usually consider when you are when you're thinking about language choices flip that on its head and really consider what are the languages that put me off and why is it that they put me off because there might be there might be something in there that is just interesting to learn I will most certainly do this and look at this and, and consider it. And, you know, it, it, I, I think it will contribute. Awareness like this will contribute to like more diversity, I guess, in the kinds of languages that I am learning as well. So I'm looking forward to this. Well, thank you, Lindsay, yeah. for bringing this, this question. Deep, man. De nada. Thank you. <laughs> Shall we wrap up? Deeper than a deep sea diver. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it is goodbye from me. Deep in thought today. Goodbye and goodbye from Lindsay Williams. Lagorn, I think that's goodbye in Lao. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. Don't forget that you can send us your comments and questions to be answered on the show to Kirsten, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you. We read every message. Don't forget to review us. See you next week.